Hey folks, welcome to episode number 13 of Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. As always, I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, our guest is me. I'm going to be doing a mini rant about the Kovskis, the Rona, the COVID. Oh man, why do you need to talk about this? Well, as a biological horror author, I would be remiss not to. And I have written a fair deal on it in the past. I wrote a few articles early on during the pandemic about horror fiction being a sort of vaccination against fear during a pandemic, etc. Now, I want to make it clear, there's a big difference between being afraid and then not doing the things you need to do. So I've been a very strong advocate for let's do what we can much as humanly possible, really, to slow the spread of this to end the pandemic. I've been advocating for strong public health measures since the beginning of this. I've even been a part of a little advocacy group of journalists and public health uh, professionals, medical health professionals, to do something about this in Colorado. And I'm going to try not to make this very political, but of course, policies are necessary to address pandemics, so it's hard to not make that political. But let's see if I can just keep this in the the realm of horror fiction. Now, I deliberately didn't take notes, so this wouldn't be very long, but here's what I've got to say. Maybe a decade ago, I wrote a novel, it was never published, and you'll see why in a minute, called Pandemonic, and it was about a universal healthcare activist, and he was working with an organization that was trying to pass universal healthcare, and it was all based on my experiences in the environmental movement. I just translated it over to that, but all you really need to know is he infiltrates what he believes to be a anti healthcare organization and he finds out they're actually a religious order or a cult but they call themselves a religious order that worships viruses as their literal gods so basically in this cult you have an initiation ceremony where you catch a disease from somebody in the group and it starts at a more minor level and then you catch that disease and you have to spread it to a certain amount of people in the population, kind of like going on missionary. And once you spread it to enough members, you get to rise up to the next echelon. So you get to catch that next disease and it gets progressively worse into fatal diseases. And the protagonist has reason to believe that the leader is going to release a genetically engineered virus into the population and Mayhem ensues. The novel had very little interest, maybe because it wasn't as well written as it could have been. I'll always acknowledge that, right? Especially that was 10 years ago. It was hard to classify in a genre. Here I'm making all these excuses. But I honestly think it was just too weird a concept for people to wrap their heads around. I was like, what are you talking about? The idea of deliberately spreading viruses? And what's all this about pandemics? None of this is likely 
blah, blah, blah. Now, I had been researching disease and pandemics since H1N1, and that's sort of what triggered my interest in this. And it's what gave me my idea behind the idea of worshiping viruses as gods, because I remember there was about a week when that H1N1 hit, and I was following all these science journalist listservs, and I was like, oh, man, this might be the end. This, this, it might be all over. You know, that was back in 2009, I believe. And part of me almost gave up thinking, well, maybe humans are just here to spread viruses and we're here to do their biddings as if we're their followers and they're our gods. I had that crazy thought almost to relieve my own anxiety to be like, well, it's all okay. This is how it's supposed to be. And then, of course, all my research uncovered how humanity did seem to evolve from well, microbes. And then we have all of these microbes inside of us. And even our organelles are based on that. So our mitochondria is based on some form of primitive bacteria. And their religion in this in pandemonic is that all life came from viruses and bacteria and as I did more research, it seems like it's strangely true. So anyway, fast forward to 2020, and sure enough, a pandemic happened. And we're now in the situation, or we've been in the situation, where we have a percentage of our population that is, I don't want to say deliberately spreading disease, but it almost amounts to that. It almost amounts to at the very least, deliberately not doing the things they know they need to do to prevent spreading disease. So you can call it whatever you want. I think people are saying people are deliberately going out there murdering one another with viruses is inaccurate. I'd say the best analogy I've been able to come up with is it's akin to somebody who gets into a vehicle every night after drinking a 12-pack and it turns their headlight, headlights off on a rainy night. Most of the time, you'll probably be fine. It's an extremely reckless thing to do, and sooner or later, you're probably going to hit somebody. So that's the seemingly nuanced way I, I want to look at this. Now, other than the fact that I predicted this with my ridiculous fiction that nobody wanted at the time, which now it's almost too cliche to write about. Before it was too absurd. Oh, come on. And now it's like, oh man, this is too close to the truth. So what is the relevance of horror fiction, biological horror fiction in a world of pandemic? I, I don't know. <laughs> I stopped writing about viruses and bacteria, which I've been writing about for over a decade in my journalism, but also in my fiction. Uh, once the pandemic started, because I'm like, well, what's the point, right? The reality has me beat. But perhaps what we can glean from this is not necessarily the horror of the disease, right? And I, I just want to make it clear, I am in no way downplaying COVID. I think COVID is awful. I think if, if you actually look at the numbers, if you look at what's called excess deaths, so you trace in each country how many more deaths they had last year, or in this year uh, compared to previous years, the numbers of deaths worldwide seem to be around 12 million right now. And this has not ended. Uh, even people who don't die, 
Now, it's largely the elderly, but not entirely. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's just the elderly, or it's just people who are overweight, or just people who have some sickness. To me, that is completely opposed to uh, modern human civilization. The idea that, oh, well, if you're not fit, you're just going to, the fittest you can be, you're going to die. I don't accept that at all. Uh, But younger people have died and are continuing to die. But aside from that, there are people who get this long COVID, who get all sorts of weird things that people don't really know how to put their finger on, but it seems to be a pretty devastating disease often. But of course, the reason why this spreads so easily is because most of the time it's not that awful, and so people can dismiss it or their symptoms aren't that bad. When you have a disease like the first SARS that drops you dead pretty quickly, it doesn't spread as far or the symptoms are more obvious. But here it's like, oh, I must just have a head cold. So that's the deviousness of this whole of this whole COVID. So I just want to make it clear without belaboring the point, because obviously all the information is out there. COVID's a big deal. I take it very seriously. And I do think that uh, we should actually be having a stricter response to it, as many countries have, and they've actually been able to alleviate it. And that brings me back to my point. COVID is awful, but what's worse is the human response to it. And so that's what we see in a lot of those zombie movies and a lot of zombie books, zombie fiction. It's not the the zombies themselves that are necessarily the most horrible. It's the humans and it's the human reaction to that world. So we see in things like The Walking Dead, which is very emblematic of that world, but obviously occurs over and over in, in zombie films. How do humans respond to all of this tends to be even worse than what the zombies are doing. So in this case, if the zombies are akin to covid look look what we've done (laughs) look what we're doing look how we're we're just standing back or at best just pointing fingers and i think again i don't want to make this about the politics of covid and all that but i think that the reckoning we've yet to have around covid is the understanding of the human psychology when we drop ourselves down into difficult situations. And of course, war, famine, poverty, things like that, and pandemics in the past have shown us this, but we haven't had it in, say, the developed world very much for a while. And this is showing some very ugly truths. And it's basically that we seem unable as a species to make <laughs> make a disti- I'm trying to pick my words very carefully here to make a distinction between something we'd like to have happen and the actions necessary to make it happen and the psychology behind this is something that I think we're going to be delving into for decades if not longer about how we were willing to sort of just let all this happen, how, and, and this is not Republicans versus Democrats purely. I, I do believe in acknowledging real life things. And sure, for the most part, it's been Republicans who have been more dismissive about this, more conservative folks, let's put it that way. Um, but I have seen plenty of people who are leftists and organic people who are operating pretty much the same way and then we have politicians who claim to care about this and who are 
doing next to nothing. And I think in a way that's almost worse because it's a false sense of security. So I want to damn everyone. <laughs> that's my that's my goal. Equal opportunity damnation. But again, that's not what this podcast is about. This is about horror fiction, biological horror fiction. So what we see is the biology is terrible, right? There, there are these awful biological things that harm our bodies and harm our minds. But be beneath it all is the psychology. And I think that's just the deepest, darkest pit. And yes, what humanity brings into the world, I believe, can be both more loving and compassionate than, yeah, any deer or squirrel on the planet. I don't think squirrels have malevolence, but I don't know if they necessarily have overarching kindness. I don't know if they're going to be tucking their broken-legged squirrel friend into a bed and feeding them soup. I don't think that they have that consciousness and, and awareness. Maybe if there was a race of super squirrels, they would be very kind. So if there are any squirrels listening, I don't mean to be squirrelist, but I'm just saying what comes to my mind, obviously. So we have the capacity as humanity to do, I believe, this custodianship of the world and one another that we often do. There is a lot of it, and there has been a lot of positive response in terms of this disease and how people will treat one another and people being cautious and following the guidelines that may or may not be perfect, but are certainly better than doing nothing. It's more our political structures, I would say, but ultimately it's our reward and punishment mechanism for politicians. The politicians are like, this isn't real, get a lot of pats on the back, strangely. But politicians are like, this is real, we need to really do something about it. They're not going to get as many pats in the back even from people who agree with them because part of them is like, well, I don't like being told what to do and I don't want people thinking that I'm pro-restrictions or anything like that. But what we have undoubtedly brought into the world that I think horror fiction does touch upon is, is evil. Humans are not pure evil. Again, we bring good that I think wasn't even in place. I don't think nature is good or evil. I don't think it has that capacity. I think humans do, but nature can't be evil. A hawk can't be evil, but a human can. And I guess the question is, which is winning out? And which wins out in difficult situations? So maybe a clear-eyed look of this is that you know what, there's been more good than evil during this whole pandemic. People have been very compassionate to a certain degree, uh, things like that. I, I, I don't know. I guess horror and horror authors, we do focus on the darkness. But my goal, honestly, in a lot of horror writing is I, I don't want to destroy my street cred here, but I, I like to bring people through the darkness into the light. And I like to examine the shadow for what it is, not necessarily dwell in it, not push away from it, acknowledge it, accept it. Yes, sometimes there is death and disease in the world. We can't pretend there's not. But there are things we can do. If you can't put a piece of fabric over your mouth for 20 minutes when you're going into a grocery store during a pandemic, I'm sorry, you're a piece of shit. <sighs> you know, oops, I wasn't going to get controversial. I just did. Um, it, just, it just shows the unwillingness of humanity to overcome its its egotism and i think that's really what this is about there's there are different levels of 
me versus we, and we have to be able to protect ourselves and advocate for ourselves, but we also have to look at the, the greater whole. And what is really fascinating about a contagious disease is that we no longer exist in an island, right? It's no longer about, well, you're going to do some harmful thing to you and it doesn't affect anyone else. That's no longer the case. The r naught, which is the amount of people that the a disease spreads to people, is I believe it's seven or eight with this Delta variant. So that means one person gets it. Oh, I don't care. I'm just getting it. it. Doesn't seven or eight other people get it. Seven or eight other people spread it from there on out. We're not living in a bubble anymore. And so we have to have that consciousness and awareness to evolve out of this stuff. We, we don't seem to have it in this country. Now, there are other countries that are just, well, let's just uh, use authoritarianism. And I would say that that's not as evolved as a level of, well, people can make their own decisions. But there is a next level, which is, you know what? Clearly, people can't make the right decisions in certain circumstances. And sure, when times are good, let's let people do what they want. It's not harming anyone. But here's the reality, sadly, in this situation. If I walk down the street with a beer, um, I will probably get stopped by police within an hour. I'll probably get ticketed. And if I won't stop doing that, you know, drinking one beer on the street, they'll probably arrest me and, you know, for disorderly conduct. And that's literally not hurting anyone, right? I think we can all argue that me walking down the street with one beer is not harming anyone. Yet you can defy all of the public health measures that have been put in place by states when they were actually put in place. And you can own a business that's doing it. And in a few circumstances, in a few areas, you maybe got a slap on the wrist. But I investigated this very deeply. 99.99% of the time, nothing happened. So that's the world we're living in. We're like, you, I don't have the liberty to walk down the street with a beer, but we have the liberty to spread contagious disease. And I don't have any answers to this. I think the only answer is the answer for all of our ills, so to speak, is to see the bright side to reinforce the positive and accept aspects of the negative that are necessary, but not to just allow things to happen just because they're happening. I don't, I don't think that is wisdom. I think every good thing that we all take for granted these days with somebody in the past going, you know what? No, we can do a little bit better than this. So I think ultimately, though, the only answer is we need to evolve. We need to evolve through these stages of egocentric, where it's all about me, to group-centric. It's all about my group or country or whatever, to world-centric. You know what? This is a worldwide problem. So what does this have to do with horror fiction, Josh? You're kind of going far afield here. Well, I don't pretend that I'm not trying to say things sometimes in my stories. I try to lead with the, a cool concept, a powerful plot and in-depth characters in realistic situations then then maybe get a little bit unrealistic but yeah i think i've got stuff to say and maybe it's not worth saying or hearing but i'm going to keep doing it until somebody until somebody stops me and i think we need to evolve up and the way we evolve up is frankly to look at the shadow okay here i am coming tying this all together in a neat bow right wasn't sure if it was going to happen. So horror helps us look at our individual shadow. 
And through doing so, that's how we evolve. We see the limitations in others. It's so easy. I can pick out your shadow instantly. I call myself the shadow shower. It's both my my strength and my weakness, right? But it's a lot harder for us to see our own shadow. And ironically, that's also, yeah, my, my shadow amongst other things. So the next time you are like, oh, I can't believe that they're doing that thing. That's valid. That's, that's often valid. But can you then take that lens to yourself and be like, oh man, maybe there's something that I am blind to. And maybe that's the only discovery is just like, I'm not sure I can see that thing, but I'm going to not be so arrogant in my pronounce pronouncements, which I guess I should be doing here. Uh, because I see others making these obvious mistakes, maybe I'm making them too. But at a certain time of day, you do have to make a decision and move forward and be like, you know what, this is what we're doing. And if it ends up being the wrong thing, we'll change our ways. But for right now, let's make a decision. There's a difference between having that assertiveness and confidence versus I know I'm right forever and I will never hear any feedback. That's the opposite of looking at one's shadow. So Horror fiction hopefully can help us look at our shadow more so we can evolve. Biological horror fiction can remind us about these terrible (laughs) things. The difficulty of having a human body in this biosphere, the joys and the wonders, but also the horrors. But then realizing that we're the ones who bring the darkness. It's not out there. It's not the elder gods. It's us. The call is coming from inside the house. So take a look at your shadow. I'll keep taking a look at mine. Keep reading, keep writing, and we'll get through this, probably. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.